Would you like to call the roll, please? I would. Um, Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue is absent. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Splendorio. He's here. I can see him. He may not be able to hear us yet. Can you hear us, Trustee Splendorio? Okay, well, he is here. I'm counting him. We have a quorum. We can go. Thank okay. you. Um, public comments, next thing on the agenda. I, I understand that uh, there is no public comment. Could you confirm that again? That is correct. Okay, next item on the agenda is item A, the consent agenda, <clears throat> the approval of the minutes of September 15th, 2021. Can I have a motion on that? Motion to approve action item A. The consent agenda. Second. All right. Do we need a vote on that? Uh, clerk, do we need a, uh, a vote on that? Yes, I can do a roll call vote. Um, trust, thank you. Sorry. Uh, sorry, my computer just did a little weird thing there. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Item B uh, is the presentation of the uh, annual audit of the night of the fiscal year 2021 financial statements. And that is going recording to in progress. Be presented by Moss Adams, uh, Mr. Finis, is that a correct pronunciation? And Mr. Connor, are you with us? We are with you. Mr. Fox, and uh, we are ready pre to present. Okay, uh, we're, we're ready to be presented to. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, we'll pull up the uh, presentation here on the screen. John will pull that up. Can you see and, it, Brian? Uh, what's that? Can you see it? Yep, I can. We're okay. good to go. So thank you. Appreciate that. So we'll... Um, I know you received some materials, uh, the audit committee did, uh, ahead of this presentation. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, work through the, the presentation, the PowerPoint that you see on the screen uh, here, which should summarize uh, our communications, our remarks on uh, the uh, results of the audit engagement, uh, our observations, and items of note related to the financial statements, et cetera. We don't intend to, to to walk through the financial statements themselves, but uh, we know that you've seen those and we wanna make sure that if we don't address something that's on your mind uh, related to the information you received in our prepared remarks, uh, certainly interject at any time and ask questions. We have, I believe, plenty of time on the agenda uh, for that. So next slide, John, please. And let's just flip one more, more salutation slide. So this is the team. Uh, that worked on your engagement. And we discussed this in, in the planning session uh, several months ago. Uh, I'm Brian Connor, the partner on the engagement, our concurring uh, reviewer or quality control review, uh, the member that's not involved in the team on a day-to-day -day basis, Kate Jackson, the healthcare partner here in Northern California, uh, has uh, 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 again uh, represented us as our concurring reviewer. Uh, we talked about Glenn Bunting, who's a managing director in our reimbursement practice, who helped us with uh, third-party reimbursement auditing. And, of course, John, 
uh, here as our senior manager, uh, it, along with a cast of dozens. Uh, Lisa Schick is noted uh, as our engagement in charge. Lisa was, was available for a good portion of the audit and then um, left during the engagement uh, uh, for um, private enterprise. Uh, but we had a number of continuing folks in the engagement, including Brendan Weaver, who, who stepped in. Uh, so the engagement team was consistent with what we discussed uh, in our planning process, generally speaking. So from an agenda standpoint, and I previewed that uh, uh, a few moments ago, but we're going to talk about um, our audit opinion uh, that I know you have in draft form uh, and uh, the report or the reports to the financial statement package there too. Uh, a summarization of communications with those to those charged with governance, uh, which is the audit committee. Uh, these are required under generally accepted auditing standards, but also very important uh, for, for our dialogue with the audit committee to understand uh, important aspects of the audit engagement. And then we'll walk through the financial highlights. Uh, so we have um, information uh, from your financial statements shown in, in uh, graph uh, form. Uh, compared to prior years to give you some perspective on what the financial information in the financial statements looks like and our remarks on, uh, you know, changes in those balances and what we did to audit those uh, during the process. That's what we have planned uh, here uh, this evening. So um, maybe before I get started on uh, scope of services and, and auditor opinion and report, uh, I'll just remark real quickly on status of the engagement because you did receive materials that were uh, stamped draft. We expect all the information that you received ahead of time and, and what we're covering here to be final. Um, you know, we still have a, a couple of I's to dot and T's to cross to uh, finalize um, the information uh, and get that here hopefully shortly over to the accounting uh, so they can incorporate that uh, into their annual comprehensive financial report. Um, but we're, uh, most of the balance, all the balances we expect to be final, we've conducted uh, most of our procedures, our review procedures, and again, just uh, wrapping up a few items. Uh, we did talk in the planning process about a review in conjunction uh, with the financial statement audit of January balances uh, based on the transition uh, in the uh, administration CEO position. We've been working on that. Um, that's not quite done yet as we're, uh, um, some of the, the balances uh, and changes in balances uh, related to uh, supplemental programs that affect the year-end presentation that we'll talk about here. Um, also uh, affect uh, the January balances to some extent. Uh, so management's in the process of uh, rolling those into the January financial statements. But we're very far along on the process in, in that review, et cetera, and we expect to wrap that up very shortly as well. Um, the other item we discussed uh, in the planning process is the single audit that accompanies uh, 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 financial statements uh, performed in, under government uh, auditing standards, and that single audit uh, tests and reports on uh, the compliance with the uh, uh, expenditures of federal awards that exceed a certain level. Uh, so we just finished the 2020 uh, single auto that was delayed pretty significantly due to some CARES Act funding and resolving questions related to that. Uh, so that was issued uh, right at the end of September. 
Uh, and then the 2021 uh, single audit, uh, we expect to uh, start that process here uh, shortly after this meeting, probably in January. Uh, we really, that, that encompasses all of the provider relief funding has all been pushed into 2021 uh, based on uh, uh, Department of Health and Human Services guidelines. Uh, and so we had to wait for the portal submission to be complete before we could start that process. Portal submissions is a big part of the testing of that process. So that's where everything's at um, related uh, to, you know, the various engagements that, that we have going on. I wanted to set that table before we start to talk about uh, the actual consolidated financial statements of the health system. So on the slide here, uh, you know, we, as it says, we have performed uh, the annual financial statement audit uh, for uh, June 30th, 2021 for the health system. I mentioned the status of that. Uh, the slide probably more importantly notes um, non-attest services uh, that we've engaged in. And these are important because they relate to our independence. Uh, and so, you know, a couple of bullets, we've assisted with the tax preparation of the foundation's uh, tax returns, and we will assist with the preparation of the auditee portion of the data collection form that relates to the single audit for 2021. Uh, neither of those services uh, impacts our independence. Uh, so uh, we believe that we are independent uh, and remain independent with respect to this audit engagement. And I don't know that we have it, uh, but we do have it noted in a couple of slides. I was gonna say, John, do we, do we have something that talks about the actual audit opinion, but it's, it's coming up in a slide in just a minute. Um, but before we get there, I want to talk, uh, reiterate our responsibilities as it relates to the, the financial statements and, and our audit of those financial statements. Um, the two important points I think here on the financial or on this slide to understand is one, it's our objective and we are engaged to express an opinion on whether the financial statements prepared by management uh, with your oversight are fairly stated in all material respects and in accordance with U.S. GAAP. Uh, so, you know, that's an important um, distinction between what our responsibility is as auditors and what your management team's responsibility is relative to the financial statements themselves. The management team is responsible for preparing the financial statements. They're the health system's financial statements. They're not Ross Adams' financial statements. Our responsibility relates to our opinion on those financial statements and whether we believe that those financial statements are fairly stated uh, in accordance with uh, generally accepted accounting standards and we perform um, our audit in accordance with auditing standards that are promulgated by the AICPA, but also government accounting standards uh, because of the nature of the organization and again, the federal funding that you receive. And the other uh, item of note here, I think is important is it, our responsibility related to internal controls. So we look very closely at the internal control of the organization, especially as it relates to financial reporting we have a responsibility to understand the design of your control structures that relates to financial reporting and the implementation of those controls. Uh, we will test those controls where we determine is appropriate and we're trying to get evidence that, uh, that we rely on uh, related to our opinion, uh, but we're not engaged to and we're not responsible for issuing an opinion on uh, the operating effectiveness of the internal controls themselves. There are some engagements uh, where an auditor of a financial statement may also opine on the operating effectiveness of an internal control, but that doesn't relate to your organization. That's, that's, uh, that's not in the scope of this particular engagement. 
but we do look very closely at internal controls, as I mentioned. Uh, and if we find uh, instances where there is deficiencies that rise to a certain level, we're required to communicate those to you in writing until they're remediated. Okay, so let's talk uh, next slide about the, the opinion itself. Um, we have on the consolidated financial statements in draft form an unmodified opinion on your financial statements. So it's the highest level of assurance uh, that we can provide. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, that means that we believe that the financial statements that uh, you had uh, in draft form in your materials ahead of time are fairly stated in all material respects because the audit's done under government auditing standards. There's some additional reports layered in. One is a report of the independent auditors on internal control over financial reporting uh, based on government auditing standards. Um, and, and again, there's no findings uh, in that uh, particular report to speak of. There'll be some additional reports that accompany uh, the package with a single audit uh, once that's finalized. But classic clean opinion uh, on your financial statements and again, the, the highest level of assurance that we can provide. So let's talk about communications uh, with those charged with governance. That's a really important part of, of this presentation. We're required to communicate to you um, a, a number of items are summarized in bullet point fashion here on the slide, uh, including whether there's you know, the significant accounting policies of the organization, which are disclosed in note one, note two to the financial statements, uh, but more importantly, whether there's been any substantial uh, or significant changes in those account accounting policies, um, which you know there hasn't in the current year, uh, the accounting estimates uh, and whether those are reasonable. Accounting estimates are really important because they usually involve uh, sensitive management judgments and, and therefore can be higher risk from a financial reporting perspective. So John, as he goes through uh, the numbers, we'll talk a lot about um, areas that uh, you know have significant estimates in them and, and what we did from a, a, an auditing perspective related to those. But all of your accounting estimates we found to be reasonable. Um, the uh, development of those estimates and judgments and what goes into that process consistent with the prior year, uh, and we're comfortable with those processes. The most important bullet point on here, I think, uh, is in, in to me the most important um, kind of takeaway from a financial statement audit are whether there were significant or any audit adjustments to the financial statements, uh, whether the auditors found anything to indicate that the financial statements were materially incorrect and therefore required an adjustment to fix those. Uh, I'm happy to um, say that we did not uh, find any audit adjustments that you know were errors in the financial statements that uh, that uh, management had to correct. Now, typically in the process with uh, the Alameda Health System, there are a number of adjustments, what are called post-closing adjustments, that are provided by management um, based on information uh, that becomes available after the initial close. Uh, you know, when we start our work in in late August and September. Uh, typically, there are adjustments, and they relate off, most often to supplemental programs um, and you know changes in data related to those, uh, and then reconciling balances with the county. Um, you know, there, there's probably a handful of those adjustments that your management team makes every year uh, to adjust the financial statements uh, post closing and and uh, to get to a final form, and and that that was done this year, and there's nothing unusual with that. We had no disagreements with your management team 
very busy time, obviously, for um, all the audit activity I, I talked about, but also just, you know, the general uh, business of the health system. So we appreciate uh, their engagement. I know they've worked awfully hard um, pretty much all the time, but certainly uh, this time of year to, to get to the point uh, where we are. And also, uh, you know, I think a, an important note here is, is uh, from a control perspective, we didn't identify any material weaknesses in your internal control structure. You know, I talked about our responsibility related to internal control. Um, but if we find deficiencies that rise to a certain level, uh, we're required to communicate those to you. And we didn't identify any deficiencies in internal control uh, that would be considered material weaknesses. So happy to report that to you. Uh, before I turn it over to John to talk about the numbers themselves, I'll just make a few comments uh, regarding uh, your financial statements and the audits and uh, the audit itself and, and, you know, items that I think are important takeaways or additional important takeaways. John will talk about um, our work in accounts receivable uh, and kind of your other supplemental re uh, revenue and receivables related to those. Those are really the, the, the clearly the most significant areas uh, of risk uh, for an engagement. Lots of estimates in there. Um, and lots of data points uh, to look at. So John will talk about what we did, but um, yeah, that area uh, looked pretty good. Um, you know, we've had uh, in the past some adjustments, mostly, you know, at, at maybe the, the medical group level or a subsystem level um, on accounts receivable, uh, you know, based on information that we were looking at. Uh, accounts receivable looked great from a liquidation perspective. Uh, I think it's it, management tell, we would tell you it's really been helpful having uh, all of that information on one system in Epic, um, but the uh, the valuation of that ARR was really clean uh, in the current year. So I think that's a significant takeaway. And John will talk about some more specifics. But one area I did want to mention uh, that's an area we discussed with management, something to keep an eye on, and it relates to um, what uh, is is defined in the. Uh, financial statements is the capital designation fund. So in 2016, uh, the uh, health system entered into an agreement with the county whereby the health system would contribute an amount each year for about 20 years, uh, $7 million a year into a capital designation fund that would be made maintained at the county level and therefore would be a fund that could be utilized to uh, make capital improvements in the future. Uh, to the health system's infrastructure. Um, in 2018, the county and the uh, health system agreed that over the subsequent 10 years, uh, the hospital or the health system would be able to draw down on that fund to a tune of about $7 million a year um, to fund the EPIC uh, system implementation uh, that was just finished up uh, in the last uh, fiscal year. And so... Uh, for the, the preceding time period since then, management has accrued a receivable from the county of, of $7 million a year. So it's about $21 million uh, at the end of 2021. Um, all of the agreements uh, are in place to indicate that that's uh, a, a valid receivable from the county, but the county does not acknowledge that in their, confirm in their confirmation uh, to us, they say that that at this point has not is not owed back to um, the hospital. So, from an audit perspective, 
Uh, we believe that uh, the information is there to indicate that that receivable exists. And the county at this point may not indicate their intent to pay, but they certainly have the ability to pay. And there's a number of offsets. So we've that uh, receivable has continued to be recognized in the financial statements. Um, but again, it's an area that, uh, you know, we, we're, we're keeping a close eye on. Um, and uh, I'm sure it's something that's been discussed uh, in in these sessions before. Go ahead. Yes, Mr. Fox, go ahead. Um, this re this receivable, um, would it be correct to characterize this as a balance sheet entry only? Uh, yeah, so um, the way that the, that the, the government accounting would work, uh, you would have, you would recognize a receivable and then you would have a, um, a capital transfer um, you know, so in a private enterprise, that would be something that would kind of roll through equity uh, in a government financial statement on the statement of revenues expenses. It would be down at the bottom of that, but it's it's effectively a capital transfer uh, that that wouldn't affect your revenues or operating expenses. If the county were not to honor that obligation, um, would we take a hit uh, to our income? No. It would be a hit to basically to your uh, net position, your, okay. your uh, direct hit to equity. Okay. Do you order uh, audit other um, uh, county hospitals? Yes. Is is this arrangement that was agreed to in 2016? Is this is this something you've seen elsewhere? Th this particular arrangement, I have no. not seen. Uh, it's it's unique to uh, Alameda arrangements like this between uh, the county and the health system for counties that are operating a health system um, are are common to have I mean, these it, these kinds of arrangements. It seems to me like it's funded depreciation only instead of keeping the the funds we give them to the county to keep, and then we have to exactly, struggle. and then we exactly. have to, we have to struggle to get them back. Yep. Um. Okay. I mean, I, I recognize that it's a prior administration that agreed to this, and I guess a prior board, but it just seems like um, why wouldn't, if we wanted to agree with the county that we would fund our depreciation, wouldn't it be more favorable to us to just keep that fund for our, you know, under our own control? Yeah, I think your your management team would, would agree with that. Again, I think it gets into... Uh, you're right. And it gets into a host of um, issues, you know, related between the county and the health system uh, in operating uh, the health system and, you know, agreements and disagreements on, on what, what should happen. But yeah, I, I, um, that your, your characterization is fair. It's essentially setting aside money to fund future capital improvements, which is often referred to as a funded depreciation account uh, in healthcare organizations. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Um, and so um, I would like to turn it over to, to John at this point to work through um, our um, number slides, uh, kind of talking about the, the balance sheet uh, as well as, as the income statement and, and changes there too, um, and uh, give you some perspective on some of the audit work we did there. John? 
Can everyone hear me? Looks that way. Okay, fantastic. So this first slide here, assets and deferred outflows is uh, um, represented by uh, a number of changes. The, the first change I'll go through is patient accounts receivable, net of, uh, of allowances. And so, you know, when you look at 2021 and 2020, you see it relatively consistent. Um, but what you don't see here is the, the the cash flows that have gone into and the reductions in the allowances um, that management has been able to recognize as a result of their improved cash flows. And so um, what we focus on here is a, a, an evaluation of the prior year net account receivable, so the $84 million. And then we look at the collections on that $84 million and then use that to estimate the historical collections based on uh, collections subsequent to 2021. And what we found is that uh, management is, is, is continuing to improve collections year over year. Um, you can see the stabilization of Epic here from 2019 to 2020, and then the continued stabilization um, into 2021. Moving over to due from third party, uh, that amount is down from prior year, roughly uh, $23 million. The, the largest portion of that decrease is related to the prime program, which uh, did sunset as of the end of calendar year 2020, um, December 30, 2031, 2021, 2020. Um, but that program was replaced by the, the QIP program, the quality improvement program. And uh, uh, what's been happening here is that uh, as you receive those funds from prime and uh, QIP starts to stand itself up, um, you see this decrease in uh, receivables from third parties. The, the bulk of our procedures here is management is managing these different programs and their, their ability to access funds. Um, some of these programs, they're getting paid advances. Some of these programs, they are uh, submitting reports uh, like they do with cost reports. But what we're focused on from an audit procedure perspective is to look at the, the trend in these funds over time, um, whether it relate to uh, fiscal year 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. And we're looking at the adjustments to these individual program years and the changes in their methodologies for making their estimates. Um, we found that you know, in evaluating the third parties that have corresponding receivables, um, as well as the liabilities that management does uh, prepare a consistent methodology, maintains that methodology from year to year um, and, and tries really hard not to deviate from that when they do deviate from it, there's usually a, a, a good set of uh, supporting information from uh, available to them that they make available to us that uh, is supportable in their decisions. The change in other current assets, uh, this is really a, a three-pronged approach here. Um, it's a little bit buried, so I'll, I'll, I'll break each one down for you. Uh, the first portion of the increase in other current assets, which totals roughly $43 million is inventory. It was roughly a $10 million increase. And, you know, we would expect this increase um, due to the pandemic increases in, you know, PPE and other supplies. So that didn't come as a, as a, a surprise to us. And we found that to be reasonable. The other increase relates to the uh, receivables due from the state of California. This is actually highlighted in footnote number six. The, the largest increase would be from a sales tax receipts perspective um, as well as other state supplemental programs like the skilled nursing facility program 
that's slightly offset from the, the AB 915 Supplemental Reimbursement Program. And again, just like the, the due from related party programs, management manages each of these in the same way. Uh, they take in uh, information, cash receipts, the program specifics related to these programs, and evaluates them from a, a fiscal year perspective, making sure to be consistent from year to year. And we found that their application of the uh, revenue recognition for these programs to be consistent related to these state programs. The third bucket inside of other current assets, um, as Brian alluded to, is related to the amounts due from the county. Um, we did, he, Brian did discuss the, the capital designation fund. Some of the other programs or receivables due from the county relate to HPAC, as well as the, uh, the capital cost program, as well as behavioral health receivables. The county did confirm all of those receivables. And uh, in total, all those programs represent an increase of $24 million of receivables. And as Brian alluded to, the capital designation fund is only $7 million of that increase. And so, um, as I said, the county does acknowledge in their confirmation back to us that these are valid receivables for the health system. Uh, capital assets, uh, certainly important. The largest increase really is, is uh, you know, depreciation uh, being offset by a small increase in, uh, you know, capital improvements. The largest improvement or the largest increase here would have been the EPIC um, improvement that was uh, implemented over the last couple of years. And then deferred outflows. I'm going to uh, basically say that the reason for this change is, you know, related to actuarial um, reports prepared by the health systems actuary and changes in the, the, uh, the pension plans, uh, both the pension assets and the pension liabilities. Are there any questions about assets and deferred outflows? Okay. This next slide here, liabilities and deferred outflows. Uh, again, starting with the amounts due to third parties. So these are the, the same types of programs. Management is uh, you know, evaluating year over year for consistent, consistency in the application of these programs. The, the largest increase here is primarily re related to the AB85 realignment program, which is tied to HPAC. Um, what's, what's happened in this one is that there are funds flowing from the state and those funds are uh, passed through the county to the health system to uh, support the, uh, the HPAC program. But then after a couple of years, the, uh, there is a reconciliation for the, the actual use of these funds. And what management has determined this year um, with the reconciliation that was provided to them this year on 2019 is that there is uh, not much that's being retained on these uh, AB85 realignment funds. And so management, taking this information in this year has uh, chosen to reserve the receipts from 2019, 2020, and a large portion of the 2021 AB85 realignment cash receipts to, uh, to a total reserve of $82 million. And so that makes up the largest portion of this increase in due to third parties. Now, this is due to the county and so as these funds came in, management was able to reduce the liquidity facility with the county. And so there, there certainly could be a potential that an offset uh, and a reduction of that liability could increase the liquidity, the liquidity facility in the future. 
just uh, wanted to point that out. That liquidity facility is confirmed also with the county at $40 million. I did skip over other current liabilities. The, the change in other current liabilities is primarily related to uh, payroll and salary related liabilities. Um, you may remember at the end of last year or at the beginning of this year, the Oak Care Medical Group was uh, uh, acquired or merged into the Alameda um, Health Partners, which uh, underwent a name change to East Bay Medical Group. And so primarily the, the, the largest piece of this increase is related to compensated absences for those physicians um, related to that, to that merger. Net pension liability was roughly stable from year over year. So even though the, the net pension assets um, did increase as a result of you know, favorable activities with those plan assets, um, at, with the ACERA plan, they really ended up uh, causing changes in both the deferred, um, deferred outflows. The change in deferred outflows or deferred inflows is again due to the actuarial changes reported or required by the health systems actuary. The decrease in other non-current liabilities is primarily related to the, um, the other pension um, employee benefits plan held by ACERA, which is uh, evaluated by an actuary as well. Are there any changes or questions regarding liabilities and deferred inflows? All right, well, this next slide, um, I did not prepare, or we did not prepare a slide to focus on the, the different revenue streams because there was you know, quite a, a large change as a result of the, um, the, the AB 85 realignment. We did wanna focus on net patient service and the related accounts receivable. And so this first set on the left is the accounts receivable that was on two slides ago, which you can clearly see the, a, an improvement in the total accounts receivable. Um, with the collections that are happening as a result of the utilization of EPIC as your single system for um, managing your, your patient receivables. But what it's having, um, it's having an, a positive effect on your percentage of net patient service revenues. Now, with the collections, we are seeing a slight increase in net patient service revenues, which is driving this 13.2% from the 164 but I think what you'll see, you know, from year to year is you'll see a, a stabilization um, if the collection rates continue as they are currently. Um, and that's a really favorable uh, percent of net collection percentage. Our last slide here is uh, operating expenses, uh, a year to year comparison. Um, you know, when you look at the, the total expenses uh, being incurred by the health system, it's pretty stable from year to year, uh, a million, um, excuse me, uh, 1 billion in the, the current year and just over uh, or under 1 billion in the prior year. But what's significant here is that we have a change in salaries and wages and benefits and a decrease in physician contract services. And really the reason for that is that that onboarding of those oak care uh, medical group physicians who prior to 2021 were um, expense through physician contract services. And with them merging into East Bay Medical Group, um, they then became salaries and wages and benefits and employees. Um, and we see a decrease in physician contract services. Um, after taking that into consideration in our analytical procedures, 
um, all the rest of the, the percentages and the amounts being recognized by the health system were uh, reasonable and comparable with, with prior year. Hey, John, we have a, a question from uh, Mr. Splendorio. Yes, sir. Hey. No, thank you for acknowledging me, John. Uh, just going back to the slide of uh, the net patient service accounts receivable, <clears throat> the uh, percent of net revenues, the 13.2 figure for 2021, what is um, a, a good industry goal that we should have for that figure? Yeah, I would say uh, it's, a, it's a great question. You know, it's probably uh, easier, you know, that it's easier to understand like converting shell percentage of net revenue. You can use the same information to get a, a number of days in receivables. Uh, and so your days, I, I believe, um, as disclosed in, you know, it's a great uh, spot in financial statements, the management discussion and analysis at the beginning of the packet has a lot of good information in there. And it talks about days and receivables. And I believe that's down maybe into the 40s, 540s. Um, and so, you know, that's an excellent number. So when you're at uh, even 16.4%, uh, you know, as that calculates to the number of days in accounts receivable is a very strong number. Uh, so, you know, 13.2 uh, is really excellent. Uh, it speaks to, one, the, the quality of your reserve process, uh, but also um, the conversion of accounts receivable in collections. Um, so long-winded answer to your question, 13.2, I would say, is, 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 you know, top of class. You'll see a lot of those, that percentage associated with um, very highly rated uh, from, you know, from a debt rating uh, perspective, hospitals and health systems. Thank you. You anticipated what I was trying to get for is, and how would it, if we were to go out to the capital markets, how would our rating, is that an important factor for rating purposes? And it's, it's off, so you're saying it's one of, it's a good one. To, to it, it's, it's one of many. Uh, it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> If you're going to highlight the ones that, that look really good, that, that would be uh, one uh, that, that is in your favor, no question. Thank you. That's all I have. So as I mentioned earlier, we wanted to pr provide some summary remarks uh, and information on, on two things, really. One, um, the results of our audit engagement, what we did, what we found, et cetera. Uh, as, as we noted, it was, it was really pretty darn clean, um, you know, from an accounting and control perspective, uh, financial reporting. We also wanted to give you some uh, information on the financial statements uh, themselves and, and some observations that, that we had relative to changes and, uh, you know, items in the financial statements that were important. Um, we wanted to, to pause and, and provide this opportunity for the audit committee to uh, ask any questions. If there's information that you looked at and materials ahead of time uh, that, that we didn't address or any questions you had based on the remarks that we made, uh, we'd love to uh, make sure we cover those. I have a question. Yes, sir. On footnote two, you make reference to something called the enterprise fund. 
which I don't think I have heard of before. Could you further explain what that fund is? Sure. So enterprise fund is really a government accounting term. Um, and so when you, when you look at uh, um, government accounting, you can have different fund types that, uh, you know, may be associated um, with, uh, you know, how those particular funds are accounted for. So um, an enterprise fund, or it's often referred to as a proprietary, excuse me, type fund, are funds that are used in a government setting to account for business type activities of a government. So what that disclosure is basically saying is the health system itself is housed in an enterprise fund because it's a business type activity that charges users fees uh, for the services that it provides, as opposed to um, other funds within the government, like the general fund within the county or other funds that are not enterprise type funds because they relate more to government types of activities than business type activities. So it's basically the, the type of fund uh, within the county government that the hospital is operated in. Okay, so it's not a fund within the hospital. It's not a fund within the hospital. The hospital is a fund within the county, um, and so it's describing that, but we're just reporting on the hospital itself, uh, which is housed in an, in an enterprise fund of the county. Okay. Okay, thank you. Of course. Um, I had another question. If, if there is it, I don't see any other hands from the committee right now. So um, uh, I understand there's been some discussion about uh, the timing of next year's audit and how soon after the end of the end of the actual fiscal year that will be. Um, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? And, and I'm wondering if if any of the extra schedules that we might have had to prepare this year and maybe that you had to review resulted in uh, a higher than expected cost for the audit? Um, yeah, the, the cost is fixed, so um, it didn't it didn't impact uh, that. Um, the, the timing, I think, was was the item as you alluded to mr fox that was that was most impacted i think the timing that that we ended up that you know the, the time that we're talking here this evening is really relatively consistent um, with you know the last couple of years just based on the way that the, the engagement was scheduled and planned um, this year there was a lot going on uh, that made that getting to the finish line or close to the finish line uh, a little more challenging um, and one of those was this, the 2020 single audit, which I'd referred to kind of in the beginning, was, was significantly delayed. So usually that wouldn't be jammed into the middle of this process, which it was this year. Uh, and we also had the, uh, you know, the January review that we've been working on um, and some additional things going on, obviously, uh, at the hospital. So the, the opportunity to accelerate the timing um, I think is, is there, um, you know, we can certainly start a little bit earlier. A lot of it depends on when information is available and also, um, you know, uh, resource constraints at the health system. It, it was a transition and important personnel uh, in the current year. Um, and so 
I think, you know, we can, at this point in time, the discussions that we have, we, we have had relate to, okay, it would probably make sense based on, um, the calendars that, that, uh, uh, the board of trustees have to accelerate the timing. And that should be a matter of scheduling and preparation. Um, and, you know, it, with, with this much advanced lead time, shouldn't we should be able to accomplish that. Okay. So when during the, the, the early period, the first half of 2022, would that timing be set for next year? We can start working on it. Um, Right now, uh, you know, we it's always better to schedule resources uh, in advance. So I would expect at the beginning of 2022, uh, we can continue this conversation, uh, fix resources, and then use the rest of the time to make sure that we're effectively communicating okay. and planning so that schedules are available to okay. accelerate that timing. Okay. And, and one other question, you referred to the work you're doing at, at looking at January. Um, this past January, correct. So, uh, uh, it sounds like what you're doing is, are you trying to, um, um, validate some of our reporting, uh, or to, to make sure that there were no, uh, there's nothing, uh, that could possibly be, uh, mis misreported, uh, at the time of the turnover of, of the executive leadership? Exactly. It's really uh, an engagement that's intended to make sure that there's a nice clean cutoff uh, as at the time of uh, the executive transition uh, where, uh, and, and for us to be able to report on that. So, so it uh, sounds like you're not quite hundred percent done with that yet. We're not done. And mostly because there are some adjustments to the supplemental programs that occurred in June that we need to fold back into, uh, and when I say we, uh, uh, management primarily needs to fold back into uh, those January statements. Most of the work itself has been done, uh, but the, the focus of the resources was to get June done so we could get that to the county and then finish up uh, the January review. But we had initially planned to have January done and then, you know, as, as you would expect, and then move into June, it was just based on the information and the timing of changes in supplemental data that pushed that January uh, uh, item back. So are you going, going to, to get it done pretty quickly? When you get it done, are you going to issue some kind of a statement relating to January? Yeah, so we'll issue January statement. There'll be consent condensed statements. So our, uh, the engagement letter that we've agreed to um has we've agreed not to produce footnotes to you know save save some time and expense uh but there'll be a, a condensed financial statements balance sheet uh, income statement and we'll have a review report on that which references the review procedures and the limited assurance that we're providing uh, okay and that, that, that will that, be released that report will that report go to this committee um yeah I, I believe so. And then the question I think we can determine is, is whether or not this committee, um, you know, there'll be a lot of the same information, whether or not we should get together and talk about that, uh, or we can do a summary letter of communications with those charged with governance. Um, if there's, you know, nothing of note in January that we haven't 
discussed relative to the entire year-end financial. So this committee doesn't meet again, I think, until March. So um, we should get that report well before that. Yes, we are, we're hoping to get it done in, uh, out the door in December. Okay, so if, if we can get that even before the meeting, that would be good. Was that January review uh, part of the audit, year-end audit engagement, or was that a separate engagement? It was a separate engagement. And it, it's not expected to be uh, a repeating engagement. Again, it was just right. done because of the transition. Hopefully not for a long time. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thank you. Are there any other questions from the committee? Okay. Um, Madam Clerk, is it appropriate to ask whether there's any questions from the public at this point? Yeah, I don't, I don't see an issue with that. Uh, Nobody has contacted me for any yet. All right. Are there any questions? Is there anybody uh, on the call from the public? I, I think everybody in the meeting is either staff or okay. all right. Mazada. All right. So are we at the point where uh, we're ready to, I think we're at the point where we're ready to entertain a motion to approve of the uh, financial statements and the audited financial statement report as we have it at this point. Okay. So, Second. so, so I'm sorry, just uh, so we're clear, the motion is to re recommend the approval to the full board. Okay. So uh, could motion for that. Okay. <laughs> I'll second the motion to recommend approval to the full board. Okay, so Bouquet moved and Spindorio seconded to recommend approval to the full board. And um, for a roll call vote, Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Uh, he might have cut out. Are you there, Trustee Spondorio? Yeah, I can you hear me now, but I, I, I said oh, I. Yeah. I'm sorry. About sorry, my... I couldn't hear you. No worries. I didn't hear you. <laughs> all right, thank you. So the motion passes all three eyes. Okay. Um, I'd like to entertain a motion to uh, congratulate and thank our chief financial officer in the finance department for an excellent job in closing the 2021 fiscal year and for and for the clean opinion uh and favorable all the other favorable comments we received from the auditors would somebody care to make that motion well i'll let ahmad but it's not i mean i think it's great to commend what kim and her staff did but we can't do something that's not on the agenda so unless you agendized right. it Okay. Um, but I echo the sentiment, and she did a great job, and the staff did a great job, and uh, we should send Taft down and get a bottle of champagne. But um, no, no Taft? Uh, of course. <laughs> Go on champagne, raise your hand, I'll buy it for you. Because <laughs> I, would, I would just make the comment that I think I made before the meeting, but uh, uh, I think this is the most complex audit report I've seen. Mm. ever <laughs> so and it might be because i'm not used to being in a pub you know haven't been associated with a public uh entity like this 
Uh, those, thank you very much, Trustee Fox. And I do have an excellent team led by Ann Metzger. And those footnotes are definitely <laughs> an incredible amount of work. And I am so fortunate, Alameda Health System is so fortunate to have the caliber finance team that we have. Well, pay, please pass along to Ann and the team uh, uh, our uh, congratulations and thanks for uh, what looks like an uh, just an uh, enormous amount of work and good work to get this done. And I will follow up on Trustee Splendorio's suggestion. Okay. <laughs> all, all right. If there's no if further that's discussion, better be a nice bottle. Yes, sir. <laughs> a nice bottle of champagne, right? Um. All right. Well, well thank you to our uh, friends from Moss Adams, and we're going to move on then to. Uh, item C, discussion on the uh, our, our, of our internal audit and compliance reporting summary. I didn't see anything in the agenda package, any written report. Uh, so, Kemi, do you have a, a report for us? Uh, yeah, I'm going to show it. Just a second. Let's go. So you can see it. Can you see this um, the screen? Yes. Okay. So, just a second. <clears throat> so let me just move this because I can see it. <clears throat> this uh, we had two cases where we reported a uh, a privacy breach, <clears throat> and so. Um, when we have a breach, we have to report it to the state, which is CDPH, and to the federal, which is the Office of Civil Rights. And they, um, we had one instance where <clears throat> there was an authorized, unauthorized access to a patient's record. And so in that one, because it was intentional, we actually terminated that employee. And the other one was um, an authorized disclosure of a um, patient's um, actually test result. And this was um, a case where the traveler's nurse uh, wasn't aware that the, um, this test result even though the patients, it was given to the patient's mother, uh, you still need to obtain the patient's consent to do that. And so we um, gave training to that, um, that nurse and then to the department staff as a reminder. And so there was a final warning on this particular case. <clears throat> So is there any questions on this? Okay. I came in both those results were in, 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 in the latter result um, was the uh, patient themselves um, able to consent or what, 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 what was, what was the scenario in which documents so, were given to a family member? And was this a child? You said it was the patient's mother. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know the age of the patient, but 
there is, um, when that happens, we have to inform the, um, the patient that this occurred and the person has the right to um, actually um, give their uh, feedback to the state and the OCR. So we do give that information, but essentially um, for this particular case, my understanding is that uh, the patient was fine. Um, so there was no issue about the uh, patient position that uh, we, <clears throat> that uh, person has to, uh, what is it? give a complaint to the, um, the uh, agencies. I'm sorry, so you said this had to be generated from a complaint? Yeah, so <clears throat> we have to notify, um, whenever there's a breach, we have to notify the patient of what that breach was. And they do have the right to, um, to give a complaint to the agencies and the agency is, you know, CDPH and or the OCR. And in the past, we have had where a um, person has complained that we violated their, their, um, their privacy um, information. Um, <clears throat> and then from compliance, we have to um, provide our um, backup documentation, what we've done um, to um, mitigate any of um, these issues going forward. And then we, um, based on what the agency uh, sends to us as far as uh, we, you know, we think of it, you are, your action taken has been satisfied. And then they close the case. I just said, uh, you know, hand, handing a, a, a lab result to a mother, I, I, I can see a, whole, a number of real world scenarios. A patient's being discharged, maybe they're on pain medicines, they're being picked up by a family member and you give the discharge paperwork to the family member who's taking the patient home. Is that considered a breach um, of unauthorized disclosure of patient? Conditions. Well, it depends on the situation, but essentially, um, we should be um, when the patient comes in, they can state, and we're supposed to ask them during registration uh, who they want information to be given. And in certain situations, we cannot, um, like um, substance abuse, it is, uh, we cannot give it to anyone, even to a, another physician who may be taking care of the patient, unless the attending for that patient that they are treating for a drug um, condition has to give that consent. So there are different rules uh, for privacy. It's not just clean cut. But generally, when a patient comes into the hospital, we should be asking them, do you, you know, who do you want um, 
when there is a test results and so on. And then it's, it's in the um, registration as to um, not just contacts, but who they want information to be given. <clears throat> so that's you know, just in this uh, situation, and obviously, you I guess you don't have the further detail about giving a lab result to the mother who was perhaps sitting in the room, whatever. And again, if you don't know the details, you don't know the details, but you know, that, that's, it seems like a benign circumstance. The mother was there for that. So that's where, you know, these things happen on a daily basis in the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but we, we have had um, patients who have adamantly said, you know, proactively, I don't want my mother to know, you know, my, was that, the, was that the circumstance here? You know, I don't know the details um, because this was something that our privacy um, uh, director was working on. <clears throat> but essentially, you know, this uh, patient um, agreed that it was okay. And um, so this is an education to the um to the staff and the department staff that before you can give this this information, you must um, make sure that the patient is agrees to this. Um, and so I don't know what the test result um, was, what was the, um, the reason for that test. So I cannot, um, you know, let you know, but um, there are, let's say, um, <clears throat> if it was something like <clears throat> HIV or so on, that is one of the areas where we don't necessarily uh, give that um, to the family unless they, <clears throat> the patient agrees to it. So we do, there are a lot of caveats too about test results, and we have actually set up an ethic about um, what tests can be um, kind of given out because of the um, my chart. <clears throat> but again, it comes to education. Thank you. Say any other questions? Okay, I'm going to um, oops, have, let me see if I can make it move. Okay, so Ijaz Ali is here, and he's going to talk about <clears throat> uh, cyber security report. See Ijaz? Hi, yes, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, so this is the cybersecurity report. Um, so this report was actually given to the um, Environment of Care Committee last month. And it, it, it details the uh, numbers that range from September 1st to September 30th. So um, during those months, uh, during that month, the numbers of phishing and email attacks, including spam, 
um, increased uh, to about 2.5 million, and it was up from uh, 2.3 million in the month of August. And uh, in terms of our malware attacks, we had, we had seen an increase going up to 120. Now, these malware attacks were mainly um, adware, right? So, like, if you go onto Google and then type the word Oakland, and then you start to get all these um, ads about the city of Oakland and, like, the Oakland A's. And oh, I was going to say the Oakland Raiders, but they're not there anymore. It's Las Vegas. <laughs> um, so um, we'd got about... a. Uh, approximately about 120 of those type of attacks into our environment that they're not um, really considered um, to be malware, but because they are adware. And if a person who actually wrote the script um, does, can edit it um, to include malware. So our tools did um, uh, detect that and remove it from all the assets. Now, uh, password attack. So it says 318 here. So this is this is 318 um, individual instances. So um, one password attack could consist of about um, 4,000 attacks, um, and it can also range to something as low as about uh, five or six um, attacks. So our our tools, ExtraHop, which is our network detection and response tool. They clump all the password attacks done by a single attacker into one. So they don't really tell you exactly how many they are. So these are 318 um, individual or unique instances done by 318 different people. And um, we haven't seen any uh, distributed denial of service attacks and uh, no attacks regarding someone in the middle or uh, listening. So that's the cross-site scripting and the man-in-the-middle attacks. Uh, are there any questions on this? Because this is Taft, I have a quick question. That first one, phishing email attacks, 2.5 million in the month. We have 5,000 employees. So that's an average of about 500 phishing email attacks per employee in the organization. Is that true? Uh, yes, trustee, that is absolutely correct. Huh. So we're, we're having more, is that like we're having more than 10 a day per employee or something like that? So it's just um, a bunch of random people just trying to fish um, email, um, really just at least trying to get into our network or trying to trick someone to give them their credentials so they can either try to impersonate them or you know you know steal their steal their bank records because uh, a lot of our individuals have the same passwords for every single account so then they'll take their they'll take their ahs um, username and passwords and go straight to bank of america and try it there just to get all their bank information. So it's, um, yeah, uh, our our ESA, our email security appliance, has picked up about 2.5 million in the month of, no, uh, sorry, in the month of September. I haven't seen the numbers for October yet. I'm actually going to run those 
um, tomorrow for the next committee report. Um, so, but it's it's roughly around the same. In August, we were at 2.3. In July, we're at 2.3. And at June, we're at 2.2. So it's pretty consistent. So Ijaz, again, this tapped again. Um, so is the system screening those out? Because I'm not deleting 500 email attacks per year. And I know I get a lot of junk email from all of us, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like 500 a month. <laughs> Yes, trustee. So our, our security tool is actually filtering it. Um, oh, great. It, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's actually blocking 88% of this. Oh, wow. Of the, the 2.5 million. Wow, Ijaz. I'm, uh, I'm a little bit dumbfounded by that volume. So thank you uh, for it not being in my inbox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for your support and allowing me to get the tools so I can keep it out of your inbox. Ijaz? It's Mark Fransky. Of the 2.5 million, you said 88% were filtered, 12% made it through. How many fishing expeditions were successful? Um, in the month of September, zero. Okay. Um, that would be interesting to have trend reports in. Um, and maybe you've got those coming, Ejaz, I don't know, but just month by month, um, how many, what percent were filtered, how many made it through, um, that give us some sense over time. And maybe you've got those slides coming up. Um, so not on this deck here, but yes, I actually do have those numbers. Uh, last month, we did get one um, successful a fishing attack that went through. Uh, someone in Canada was able to access um, email, but our our tools caught it and we um, immediately blocked it and uh, had that person change their password before anything could, could happen. Wow. Okay, let's move on. So this slide is um, really information on the, um, the two audits that were done. And the first one is the Medicare secondary, uh, secondary payer questionnaire. And there was no uh, improvement opportunities. So that um, is good. And then the other one is for the HR <clears throat> employee a certification of the renewals for the ACLS and the BLS. Um, and so for those, I uh, would say 95% were actually when the, um, were in compliance because the, the renewals were um, completed um, in the timely uh, manner. There was only nine cases where there is improvement opportunities, and that's um, that's where HR <clears throat> compliance is actually um, putting in some improvements for notification with the managers and also working with labor relations um, because there is voluntary um, termination if they do not 
uh, receive this certification within 14 days. Um, and so just as an FYI, when there are findings in an audit, the management um, provides us with an um, action plan and an implementation, implementation date. And so this one says October 31st. <clears throat> and what we do is we follow up uh, with the management to get a confirmation that um, what they said has been implemented. <clears throat> and then down the road, we do a brief retesting to um, confirm that they actually implemented what they said they would do. So this is kind of an, um, from end to end, <clears throat> start to end meaning that they have um, did the work um, to close the, um, the audit that was done. Do you have any questions on this? Akemi, it's Mark. Yes. Have, you ever, have you ever considered or would it be prudent to, for example, HR employee certification, um, what's the total in? What's the fallout? How many fallout? What's the percent compliance? And what are the trends? I, and, and maybe it's something you wouldn't do um, on this report. I don't know, but I don't get a sense of um, scope of non-compliance. Um, so just just an FYI, just okay. um, consider. Yeah, so the compliance is 97%. So um, uh, based on, there was, um, they did a time period of six months and and in that six month, there were 920 um, where renewals are, were required. And it's based on what is um, for their job and the, um, and the job description. So I can um, next time make sure that there is um, more information that tells you the number of cases that were reviewed, what's the compliance uh, rate and then also the ones where there was <clears throat> an um, what's it improvement opportunities because we had nine of those um, those cases which goes into this category and it we do have that in the report but I did not put this on the slide thank you but thank you Is any other questions? Well, that's end of my report for this time. Uh, okay. Thank you, Akemi. Thank you, Ijaz, for your report as well. And actually, Mr. Chair, can I have one question for Ijaz? Mm-hmm. Because um, I'm just sort of dumb. Ijaz, do you need anything else uh, to, to help protect us? I mean, the, I'm sort of stupefied by the two point. Um, do, you, do you have the resources you need to uh, the organization? Yeah, um, I think the 
organization has done a a great job and you know especially with our leadership in um allocating the funds for the security program now um with that said you know the security landscape is always changing and there's always going to be a different types of attacks that we need to be ready and prepared for so i do have a roadmap that um that the elt has seen and has um has approved so currently right now um there there isn't any need for a resource but in the next fiscal year um you know there there will be need for resources that our elt has um has approved and 2.5 million i'm just a little bit stupefied by that number uh, so thank you thank you for what you're doing to help protect us and then uh, in follow-up to our chief operating officer's uh, comment i think kind of i think that would be a great a great tracking item uh, to actual number breaches and et cetera, et cetera. So thank you for your work. Ejaz, I have one last question and maybe um, to get on Trustee Bouquet's. Does our software, our cybersecurity software, um, keep providing you upgrades kind of like your Apple phone security? Is that is that how I have no, you know, I'm a novice at it, uh, but I just wonder if that's how we stake stay uh, relevant um, in terms of our security preparation is just by upgrades yes um so the so the uh three main tools that we have um crowdstrike extra hop and Securonix, uh those are all um ai artificial intelligence and um, machine learning based so um whenever there's any huge threat that's out there um, like, for example, the um, Colonial Pipeline incident, um, as soon as that um, the group that was responsible, that ransomware, was identified, all three of those security tools started to update and even go back within our activity history and started to look for those ransomware indicators. So, um, yeah, with all the threats that are happening and with how uh, best in breed the tools that we have are there, they do a really great job in, in helping us protect. Question, another question, Ejaz. Uh, the 2.5 million is obviously a, a mind boggling number, but is, mo is most of that or all of that basically machine driven? In other words, there aren't human beings making 2.5 million inquiries to us it's it's it's, uh, it's somebody's servers going out there and hitting us automatically 2.5 million times is that which is correct so um trustee a lot of those 2.5 million are what we call um zombie nets so it's just a bunch of um content delivery network servers all throughout the world that um, that just attempt to send out these malicious emails to really anyone and any organization, and even probably to your personal emails. Um, so they're just they're just out there really trying to get that hit. And as soon as someone replies, uh, their alert indicators go off. So this is really these emails, the phishing emails, are being sent automatically 
by certain uh, certain programs on behalf of the bad guys out there. Yeah, I would, I would and say that, and we're not necessarily. Is it true that we're not necessarily being picked on as an organization? They're going everywhere. Yeah, I would. I would roughly say about eighty percent of that two point five million is um, done by computers. Probably about another uh, fifteen to twenty percent is probably human based, but someone seeing that you know we are a healthcare organization, so they can try to get healthcare records because of the value. Of healthcare records. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for keeping us safe. My pleasure. Okay. Uh, any other any other questions for uh, Akemi or Ijaz? Okay. I think we are down to the closed session part of our agenda. Um, Ahmad, are you going to take us into closed session? Thank you, uh, Chair Fox. Uh, the board will now go into closed session to consider the item on the uh, closed session agenda item.